This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change, or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experience that you won't get from a book. Welcome, I'm Nisha, and this is our episode on my own experiences from Michael Lloyd's Dysfunction Mapping Workshop that I attended a few weeks ago. Welcome back, Michael. How are you? Yeah, thanks, Nisha, for uh, having me back on. I'm, I'm doing well. I just had another workshop yesterday, so I'm a little bit tired, but uh, hopefully we'll have a good chat today. Yeah, we will. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh, that workshop went well. I, was, uh, I, looked, I saw some great feedback for it yeah, I, online. Yeah, I think... Overall, I think it's it's. Um, I've learned some stuff from the first one. Obviously, you attended the, the inaugural session, the first time I ever did that publicly. Yeah. Um, got some good feedback on that. Tried to make it a little bit better for the second, and I think that's all worked out well. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll have to see what the third one looks like now. Yes, you're on a roll, and I certainly got a really good amount of knowledge um, and expertise that I also took away from that dysfunction mapping workshop. Um, I want to go into some of the reasons why I attended it actually, because um, as a Scrum Master, continually on a journey of wanting to um, expand my own craft and, and really uh, kind of hone my own skills, um, I attended it just so that I could grow in my own knowledge. I attended it so that I could grow in my own experience, but also so that I could get better at helping teams perform better and looking for those signs within um, within teams where they can get better and I can bring value, right? Because at the end of the day, we're all we're all doing the roles that we're doing in order to deliver value and, and help our teams do that in the best possible way. But I was at a point where I was I was struggling sometimes to articulate some of those problems that I was seeing and, and start thinking about it with everything that we have to do in our roles, either as scrum masters or agile coaches. Sometimes it's a lot for those senses to take in and you need a really nice organized method. So like that, the way that you took us through that within the workshop um, was a nice way to start thinking about things in a more of an organized way to get your thoughts together. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was aiming for, right? I think, like we talked about last time, Yeah, my feeling is that there's a, a lot of stuff out there for Scrum Masters and Agile Coaches about like how to master some particular framework or you know how to learn about Scrum, but there's not a lot that helps you with, well, how do I actually do the job on a day-to-day basis, solve problems, and, and know that I'm being useful? Um, right. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I tried to get to, and I, I hope some of that came through in the content. So. Oh, no, it really did. In particular, I love the, um, the idea of the funnel that you've created so you can really um, focus on what you're looking at in terms of the dysfunctions um, you took us really through and, and you took us through it in a um, in a step-by-step a very gentle way of organizing our thoughts can you describe that for our listeners Mike because I, I yeah. love that part of it yeah cool so I mean the, the, so the funnel is kind of the first step right and the, the yeah. reason I start with that is I, I describe it as being the same thing that you probably do today as a scrum master and agile coach right which is you join a team or an organization and you observe and you talk to people and you do one-on-ones and you just kind of write down probably a bunch of stuff that you're seeing 
So it's kind of taking that, but turning it into an input for this process that you're going to use. And so you start by forming all of your, your observations and writing down everything that doesn't feel right. Um, one of the terms I keep using is spidey sense, right? It's that stuff yeah. that triggers that spidey sense and makes you think, ooh, that doesn't feel right. Um, and then, yeah, you go through that process then from there of turning it into your potential actions, which which goes through, uh, we won't go into all of the detail, but you, you figure out which things constitute symptoms versus dysfunctions, which is a yes. you know, very particular language difference that I use that, that kind of forces you to basically drill down into if I solve this problem, do things get better or is it just a symptom? Do I need to look for a deeper a deeper problem that usually relates to some kind of agile practice or scrum practice that, that we're ignoring or you know, mm -hmm. just something that, that maybe if we did properly might, might solve our problems. Uh, and then through that, you can come up with a solution hypothesis and come up with a set of measures. And the whole thing is designed to be like a loop where it, where it sort of reconnects back to the things that you observed initially and gives you an easy way of figuring out have I actually had an impact. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what I loved. I also what I loved about it is that you don't just leave the teams um, or people that, that that you're working with um, without tools. So it's not just a one time exercise, but these are effectively like you you've got different methods that but you build into the workshops that people can take away and mm. talk about. So, for example, I'm working with a bunch of scrum masters at the moment and we're, we're working on a, a, a client program. It's within the digital space, but we know that there are areas where we can improve and the Scrum Masters can also improve in their practice because they're ranging from those that are mid-level experience to those where this is their first kind of Scrum Master role that they're undertaking, right? And so to have that knowledge and vocabulary behind me and to have that level of confidence behind me but I think this this workshop added to um, is really kind of empowering because now I can ask questions to those scrum masters about the practices that mm. they're also undertaking. Like um, I remember in the workshop that you've got, you, you talk about that funnel, but you also talk about some questions around, you know, what, what does, what do these things, what do they start looking like? Like you just touched on it. What rules are we breaking from mm. the processes that we're, we should be, not the processes, the practices that we should be following? Mm. Are we doing our refinements in the right way? If we're doing sprint planning, are we doing it in the right way? Are we taking into account all, all views across the team? Um, are we estimating in a way that is conducive? Are we really having a proper conversation about it to understand what's involved? And you start, you start being able to articulate areas where you're falling short. And I think mm. that that is a really powerful thing. Yeah. And, and the thing for me that kind of spurred it all right, as, as I think we've talked about before, is I'm, I'm a very like process agnostic person. So yes. I know a lot about Scrum, for example, but I don't think everyone should use Scrum. Um, but I do think there's a bunch of these cool tools out there that a bunch of much smarter people than me have created, like Scrum and XP and Kanban. Um, and the idea of, of dysfunction mapping is not to like, impose one of these these approaches to, on a team. Um, it's just to use those as a basis for saying, well, hey, actually, there's this practice over here that could be useful to us. And yeah. maybe if we implement it, it'll solve this problem over here. And, and it ties that to those real outcomes. And like, so, so one example that, that um, I talk about in the, in the workshop is you might have a team that's constantly failing to deliver a valuable increment that gets you know, low feedback scores on the work that they deliver or constantly has work rolling over from sprint to sprint. Um, and it might be that this team doesn't have a product owner, right? They, they, they're sort of a pseudo scrum team and doesn't have a product owner. 
So, you know, I'm not here to tell you that you must do Scrum, but it seems reasonable to me that we would say, well, if you had a product owner, maybe those problems might go away. And so it gives you that credibility to say, hey, let's try this for, for a couple of sprints, see if that actually helps us make quicker decisions, get valuable product increments and actually you know, satisfy our customers, which is what we're here for. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, and, and again, it's, it's, um, it's independent advice. And, and the fact that you are a scrum practitioner yourself, Mike, I think, um, and, and you've worked on, I know from working with you, you've worked on a variety of programs, a variety of, um, clients as well. It is that, um, it's that supplemental knowledge and what you've grown with from time to time, making making your mistakes and learning from them and going, and, and that comes across because you share that um, mm. within those workshops. And I think people, it it's, it makes people relate to the fact that, yeah, you, you learn from mistakes that you've made, but you, you start developing mechanisms for how you can get better next time. Yeah, exactly. And I think that for me is a big part of why uh, I think tools like this need to be more common is because it's actually quite easy if I'm if I'm an experienced scrum master and I'm talking to another scrum master, it's quite yeah. easy for me to convince them that I know what I'm doing because like say I've, I've got this experience, I can draw upon it. But if I'm trying to convince someone who doesn't really care about scrum, let's say an executive in a in an organization, um, that experience suddenly doesn't mean so much. And so mm -hmm. what I have learned right through through my experience is how to rather than talk about what I think I know and, and my expertise, I talk about the problems that they probably can see in the organization and how some of these activities might help them but if you're a new newer scrum master a newer agile coach that's a hard thing to have if you don't have explicit you know pattern recognition for some of these things and so a tool like dysfunction mapping allows you to kind of go through that process in a really rigorous way and say right here are the things that we're seeing there's this agile practice over here that might relate to it and that gives us a rational experiment and not only can i take that to that executive and say here's a thing we could do but i can tie it to some explicit measures and say right well this is what we'd expect to improve if we're right so it's no longer oh just trust me bro it's here's you know here's some data and here's some stuff that we're going to try yeah and, th and that's what makes it more powerful i'm looking I'm, I'm looking at some of my thoughts that i captured from uh, the dysfunction mapping um, workshop here. And that's one of the things that I, it's the language that you need to be able to get others to relate. And I love the, the fact that we've got um, a way in order you use your funnel to get to that hypothesis that you want to put together. And I think that is really important. It's a unique thing that's part of the dysfunction mapping that we do. And what we, what I find is that, you know, in our ordinary, in our normal day to day roles as scrum masters and agile coaches, we would probably do this, but we would do this in a less structured manner. We would just follow through without maybe thinking about really taking the time to think about how we're going to measure this, how we're going to articulate it. Like you just said, I think um, you touched on a really important point there around recognizing the patterns mm -hmm. that exist. So I'll give you an example. Like right now, I'm um, coaching a whole bunch of Scrum Masters within this setting I described earlier. And a lot of the teams are experiencing um, issues where they are carrying work over from, to, from sprint to sprint. But that's a symptom by working back from that and going, why is that actually showing up? What is the reason why that's showing up? And in different um, 
groups or in, in, in different scrum teams, it could be showing up for different reasons as well. So getting a real good understanding of those patterns makes you, I think it makes you a better scrum master, makes you a better coach to understand the things that you want to put in to perhaps avoid these anti-patterns or to avoid these symptoms that are showing up. Yeah, and, and again, it's, it's an interesting one because a lot of the patterns, the, the, the underlying symptoms are different. But there's a lot of very similar root causes when you've been to a lot of teams, right? I think that's, again, even dysfunction mapping, it started as just a thing that I was doing when I joined the team. Yeah. And it became a process as I was doing it more and more frequently. And there, there are certain things that almost always come up on one of my dysfunction maps when I do them with a the team. And um, even mentioning that one that you, that you just talked about, right, with, with constant work all over and unfinished work items, it's... Yeah. Um, the majority of scrum teams that I work with don't actually set sprint goals or they'll set more than one sprint goal for a sprint or they'll just set really silly sprint goals like we will finish all of our user stories this sprint. Yeah. Um, and that's a really good example of something that most of us who've been doing this a long time, we can immediately recognize and say, ah, these things are connected, right? I, I can probably guess that if we were to start setting good, solid sprint goals, that a lot of this stuff over here might go away. But the benefit of a tool that kind of puts that into place for you is you can categorize all these all these issues that are related to us seeming to not have a clear direction, not have a clear goal, and then mm. say, oh, yeah, there's this thing called the sprint goal in Scrum that we're not doing. Maybe mm. that maybe that's related. And so it kind of gives you that push to, to try something that, you know, again, a lot of us might have already experienced, but that now we're not just relying on, I guess, gut instinct or guesses. We've got some data to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. And our own gaffes as well, right, Mike? Like a one I recently came across was like I I – when I was a junior scrum master, I used to make this gaffe and it's not appreciating that your user stories should really cut through all the different layers of your architecture as thin slices. That would be so much better for you. You'd be able to deliver and your feedback loop will be shorter. Your um, your demos at your sprint review would be so much better because you'd be able to demo a whole bit of functionality taking you, you know, through all those different layers. And that's that's actual value. So yeah, it's it's I, I had a few cringy moments during that workshop as well where I was like, ah, there's something that I've done before, but it allows you to bring your past into it. It allows you to say, this is actually pinpoint. This is where I actually got better at my practice because I learned from my own gaffes. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And this is I mean the classic one that I'm sure most sort of experienced scrum masters and, and agile coaches now will recognize um is the daily scrum that is only occurring because i as the scrum master is going to sit there and ask everyone a question directly no. uh, I, I talk about this one quite a lot in my workshops now and, and on linkedin because it always gets people's um uh, what's the word hackles raised like pe people get a bit stressed when they hear it because there are a lot of people that are still doing that now they're still running the daily scrum they're asking the questions of the developers and so when I say something like, you know, you should, as a Scrum Master, not attend the daily Scrum, that's for the developers. That's yeah. that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to wrestle with. And again, it's the reason I can say it is because it's a pattern that I've recognized. The yeah. solution is not necessarily to just abandon your your developers to a daily Scrum that they don't understand. But again, through, through the process, it's realizing, well, what's the purpose of the daily Scrum? And this is one of the things we actually do in dysfunction mapping, right? It's once we've identified the dysfunction, we step back and we say, why does this rule or thing exist? And when we sit back and examine the reason that the daily scrum should be run by and for the developers, because they're the ones doing the work, they're the ones accountable for delivering the increment, and it's a yeah. synchronization session, not a status update. Well, now that starts to make sense. And now you can think about, well, okay, as a practitioner, 
what can I do to help the developers better understand that? What can I do to help them enact or, or live that purpose? Mm. And so it's no longer just about saying, oh, well, I'm going to just stop doing something. It's now I can take a deliberate action that helps them to get the value out of this thing. And that's, I think, a lot more, um, I guess, rewarding, if nothing else. But it's also generally taken better by developers, right? Because they don't usually want to just be abandoned to a daily scrum they don't understand. But once they understand it, they probably would love the idea of running it for themselves. Yeah. How did you find that this um, this dysfunction mapping deepened your own practice? Like you, you talk about being able to, you know, g- going into teams and figuring this out. So this this came out of your own learnings, right? This was distilled out of your your own learnings. How did it impact your own practice? Yeah, I mean, like it started for me as it was just a thing where I was writing down notes in my notebook and circling and connecting stuff with lines. And after a while, I realized that it was this repeat process that I was going through and I started to kind of give it a bit more structure. And the first time I used it in, I guess, a a proper way in the the way that's similar to what it looks like now, um, it just it, it immediately saved me like two months of effort in joining a new organization, because instead of, like you say, going through that kind of it's the same process that we probably all go through, but it's just less deliberate because you're not thinking about how do I measure this? You're not thinking about, you know, what's actually the, the core of this thing I'm trying to teach. You're mm-hmm. just getting pulled into firefighting. You're getting pulled into yeah. the, the biggest problem of the day. Um, you're not looking for the big connected themes. And so, yeah, giving myself that kind of permission to step back and say, right, first two weeks, I'm just observing, I'm not solving. And then you get your themes and you start seeing there's some clear things that need attention because they cause so many symptoms uh, and then like say that that purpose step of making sure that i can step back and understand rather than just enforcing a rule because it's a rule i can mm. make sure i understand the rule and then can help other people to understand it um, i found that i was getting a lot less friction in in terms of actually coaching people um, because i think like a lot of people I, I started off making that mistake of just trying to say do this because it's scrum and i'm the scrum master and i'm here to tell you that um, whereas going through this process and thinking, wait, wait a minute, how am I actually going to deliberately coach someone to to get the value from this? Um, it just stopped me from getting into a bunch of those like you know, arguments with someone who doesn't actually have the same fundamental agile beliefs that I have and whether they're right or wrong. So yeah, again, it's, I guess it's just about um, structure and permission, right? The ability to stand back and to, and to think about things more deeply. Mm. You know what I like about uh, what you what you've just said there, but also the way that you interact online, um, Mike, and also the way in which you explain during these workshops. You don't explain it because the Scrum Guide says you you respect that level of discipline. Don't get me wrong, and that comes across, and I understand that. But what's really what I really loved and enjoyed is that even through your explanations, you're not you're you're never saying do this because the Scrum Guide says. What you're doing is you're putting this into everyday language that others who are not um, as clued up. Yeah, I think that's the right word. Not as clued up in in terms of frameworks, um, haven't been to those courses, but can understand in the context of their business why it's important to follow this practice. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's a couple of things that inform that for me, right? So like one is I'm PSM3 certified from Scrum, so I, I have spent that time getting a pedantic understanding of scrum and so that's helped me in my learning journey but i don't expect anyone else to have or even to need that level of knowledge for that thing right that's i I don't think that's the best way to specialize in being an effective scrum master i just it was it was the journey that i wanted to take um Mm -hmm. but i guess that the second thing that's i guess more important is well 
my having that knowledge doesn't change anything, right? It doesn't matter how I could be the most knowledgeable scrum practitioner in the world. If I'm talking to someone who doesn't even, hasn't even been to a PSM one and they, they don't, they barely know more than there's a sprint and there's a daily scrum. It doesn't matter how much that knowledge I have, that doesn't convince them that this is the right thing to do. And Mm -hmm. the scrum guide in particular, right? It doesn't really convince you that you should. It lays down some stuff and says, this is useful. Try it and see if it works for you. Um, So we practitioners have to have like way more than just a rule book that we can say, follow these rules. Uh, And yeah, for for me, it just comes down to, well, I want to help people, you know, do work better and enjoy it more. Um, This scrum is one tool, but I, you know, I also lean on safe and Kanban and XP. Um, They all just exist as lenses for me to say, Hey, this might solve your problems. And I think if we do that um, in a, I guess, compassionate way in a, in a, um, in a, in a way that's more, tailored to the needs of the people that we're dealing with Mm. um not just because the scrum community or the agile community says that you should do something then it'll be uh, a lot more valuable yeah and i i i love that i love the fact that um this has worked and in, in deepening my own practice and i see it i see the evidence of it when scrum masters that i am coaching change their own practices change their own lenses that they're using and they're looking through and become more open to making tech changes within their teams they become more inspired they also don't feel the pressure within you know like delivery environments can be high pressure environments let's not kid ourselves sometimes they can be and so i i do love it when as an, an agile coach or someone that's coaching scrum masters you are able to affect that change because let's face it when we go into these environments often there are challenges within teams right and they want you to be able to help them in their challenges but not get involved in the firefighting be able to that's the that's part of the the um the good thing about this is being able to stand apart from it Mm. helping a scrum master and saying let's think about your um your challenges that you're experiencing in this way and then get the scrum master themselves equipped so Mm. that that they do understand the linkages between the systems the symptoms that they're experiencing the dysfunctions the purpose the solution and then how they're going to measure that their team's doing better and you know Mm. what taking the team along with them in that ride but but getting involved in that thinking I think is really powerful so yeah I shall be speaking to the scrum masters about what you're offering because I think it is such a good thing and and it's a talent it's a it's a really good talent for scrum masters to have it enforces their own practice but it also helps them get accepted quicker I think by the business community because they can really measure how you know how um they're they're impacting change positively yeah yeah, and uh, interestingly, one of the things that I guess inspired me to actually share this more publicly, and I talk about this quite a lot on LinkedIn, sometimes people get a bit upset with me, but my experience is that about nine out of 10 Scrum Masters, if I was to put a number to it, are, are not competent Scrum Masters. Right. And I don't mean that to be like critical or mean to people, but the fact is most people get thrown into Scrum Master roles with very little training, very little support. And like we say, that most of our industry is focused on teaching you how to do Scrum, not how to be an effective Scrum Master. And when I'm interviewing for Scrum Master positions, nine out of 10 people that I interview, it comes across quite quickly that they don't really understand the purpose behind the stuff in the Scrum Guide. Some haven't even read it at all, right, which is slightly more scary. Um, And that's why I'm trying to do this, right? It's not because I'm saying, oh, these people are shit and they they should be left alone. It's we as a community have to do better, giving them 
actual guidance on what you do on a day-to-day basis to be effective. Uh, and that is not just learning and memorizing a, a rule book. It's like you say, it's, it's coming up with something that you can use to get better in a slightly measurable way so that you've then got that credibility and you've got that, that ability to go to your next interview and say, yes, I know Scrum, but also here's how I used it to create successful change. Yeah. And and this is what sticks in my mind. I, again, I um, I saw another really, well, you, you release good posts all the time, but I saw a really good post uh, from you recently talking about how Scrum Masters should be and need to be articulating their value on their CVs, in interviews. And a lot of that is not around the practice itself. It's around the change that they bring about. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm not sure if I remember the exact post, but but I know it might be the one where I said about the three major things that you have to be able to demonstrate, right, is how you yes. help the team to become self-managing, how you help the product owner to uh, deliver value and how you partnered with them to do it, and then how you help the organization to become more effective at delivering value to customers. It's like those yeah. are the three accountabilities of the Scrum Master and the Scrum Guide, but two of those most Scrum Masters never talk about. They talk about helping a team and normally not even to become self-managing is how they manage the team. So it's like that that's a big swing and a miss if those are the things you talk about in an interview. If you can talk about this is how they became more self-managing and the explicit steps I, I took to help them get there. This is how mm. the product owner was drowning before I started and how I helped them organize their thoughts and maximize value. This is where the organization was inefficient, and the patterns I identified and how we use scrum practice to make it better. That is, you know, any scrum master that comes to an interview with me and actually has those things to demonstrate, they're going to be straight in my tick list, you know, like, yes, I want to hire this person. So. Yeah. And that is such amazing advice, especially now within the current climate where Scrum Masters, Agile coaches are struggling to quantify their value. But again, this is where this tool is so good because it becomes, if you're using it as a a, a tool to look at dysfunctions within your environment, it becomes almost like an evidence tracker. Your own coaching log, I think that you you um, termed it the first time we talked about it, Mike, where you, you've got that evidence of how you brought about change and not only that, how you measured its success as well. So mm. there's a, you know, it becomes like a living record of how you brought that change about in your teams and in your organizations. Yeah, and I, I can give an example for that, right? Because I, I talk about this in, I talked about it in the last workshop. I don't know if I talked about it with you, but okay. I mean, all, all Scrum Masters, I think, um, dread that question of, oh, well, what do you do all day? Um, yes. And particularly for me, I know when, when I'm getting to that point of now I'm trying to coach the team in self-management, so I'm stepping back from the things that they traditionally expected me to do. Sometimes that creates friction and they think, well, you're just trying to get out of doing your work, right? Because running the daily scrum is your job, scrum master, for example, right? If you're, if you're not doing it, that just means you're not doing your job. Um, and I had a scenario where a, a manager had come to me and said, you know, a couple of people in the team, they're complaining that you're just throwing your work onto them and you're trying not to do anything. So what have you been doing? Um, and I literally pulled up my dysfunction map, and I was like, here, here's what I've been working on. And I mentioned yeah. that, for example, the team had been struggling with merge issues the last few sprints. And every time they tried to merge their code, two of the teams were getting into arguments because there were all these conflicts. Um, and I showed that I'd identified this problem. I'd arranged a workshop. I facilitated a thing. And then they had come up with a solution that changed their process and, and resolved the merge issues and things were better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Again, it's not that I solved the problem because I was doing what I needed to get the team to self-manage and solve the problem, but I could show with a bit of evidence that I'd identified it, I'd done some stuff, and now this problem had gone away. And if I hadn't have been doing it in my dysfunction map, it would have just been like, oh, take my word for it, that problem that the team solved, I yeah, that was because of me, which 
we don't like to say, right? Because it's not on us. We're not the ones solving all the problems, but it's nice to be able to, if someone asks, say, yes, I was actually deliberately doing something here. Yes, absolutely. And those are the environments we get pulled into day to day to day, right? Where we, we have to be able to, again, look at these patterns, learn how to resolve them, and you've got, a, and, and be able to talk about them um, fluently, right? And with, and with that level of confidence. So yeah, I'm glad that you've taken this from your own learnings, no doubt from your own painful, some painful experiences, but you've you've surfaced this for others to learn from. And I think that can only be a really good thing. So, Mike, I know you've got other exciting things in the pipeline for um, those like me who are really excited about this, who apply this um, in their day to day work. Tell us about it. Yeah. So the next big one is uh, the, so the current framework or the current uh, workshop is dysfunction mapping practitioner, which is where I'm just teaching people how to use dysfunction maps. Uh, the next one is going to be dysfunction mapping registered coach, which is where I'm just looking essentially for people who are interested in becoming teachers of the concept and want to take it into their organizations and, and get other people to use it. And so it'll allow you to give other people, I guess, the certification and, and learn how to use it. But it'll also kind of bring you into this community of people who are teaching it so that we can kind of learn from each other and figure out how to make it more effective and hopefully come with our examples of how we use dysfunction mapping in, in our organizations to kind of instigate some change. And I'm hoping maybe this will turn into a little bit of a community of agile practitioners that uh, have a you know, known ability to create meaningful change, but also demonstrate it through the dysfunction maps. And maybe we'll be able to create something that's a little bit more than just a, you know, a trainer community, but is actually a value creation community. I love that. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd, that's something that I would definitely look into, looking at the the people that I'm working with um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I can see this already bringing value um, in our environment and, and to the clients that we're working with today. So Mike, thank you so much. Keep those posts coming. Keep that value um, coming into into our community. I, I look out for it on a daily basis. I'm often looking at the, uh, the posts that you release going, yes. I actually, I feel that right now. That's what I'm going through right now. Or, oh, hold on a minute. That's probably a learning area for me. Let me look at that further. So it's, it's kind of either a mix of intrigue or, yeah, ma'am, Mike, you expressed that, how I'm going through it. So there's, there's a lot of stuff to relate to. So keep doing it. Thank you. No, I appreciate it, Nisha. And yeah, glad to help. Uh, and I hope to see you maybe in our DMRC uh, community at some point. Oh, you can count on it. I will be there. This stuff has brought an immense amount of value already. So yeah, absolutely, Mike. Um, what would your takeaways be, Mike, to our watchers and listeners that you can leave them with? So I guess regardless of whether it's dysfunction mapping or something else, uh, find a way to, to be deliberate about your coaching. Find a way to look for patterns and go after the big wins. Uh, make sure that what you're doing is measurable, that it's actually making people's lives better and that you can show that to people. Uh, and then ultimately use whatever tools you can to get there. So uh, whether it's Scrum, whether it's safe or less, or whether, you know, Kanban XP, I, I don't care. Um, just get as much knowledge of as much things as you can and use them to the greatest benefit of your team and organization. Brilliant. I love it. Thank you, Mike. We want you back to um, ongoingly talk about your journey because I think it's fantastic and a lot of people in our community can learn from that and be inspired by your, your own thirst for ongoing learning um, and improvement of yourself too. Thank you everyone for watching and for listening. 
make sure that you follow us on all of our socials so you you do not miss out on great episodes and great speakers too. Bye for now.